So welcome into the first week of Advent. Uh, our Advent theme this year is His Promise. The people of God find their hope in God's faithfulness. What He promises. And what He promises, He fulfills. Every promise God makes is fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus Christ. God sent His Son, the Messiah, to rescue people from the slavery of sin and to give them abundant life. Many have risen to challenge God's Word and try to cause people to doubt. The last several weeks of Peter have been talking about the false prophets, and tonight, or today, we'll talk about scoffers. But even though scoffers come to raise question about God's faithfulness, He fails us not. His promises will be kept, and Christ will come again to reign over creation. As we look back on the birth of Christ, as well as we look ahead to His final return, we can also anticipate His daily advent in our lives. All of the promises of God we place our hope in, they find their yes and amen in Jesus. And here in the final chapter of Second Peter, we will see Peter encouraging the church of God that God will keep His promises and that Christ will return. Although false teachers may arise to bring doubt of His faithfulness and of His Word, Peter will assure us that God will not fail us. And just as the saints of the Old Testament anticipated the arrival, the advent of Christ, we today wait expectantly for the return, the second coming and final arrival of Christ. Uh, two things before we dive into this text today. Number one, I will not use the worst cliche that, in my opinion, is a pet peeve of mine that pastors use all the time when they make the statement, church, we are closer today to the return of Christ than anybody, any generation before us. Well, of course we are. That's how timelines work. And if David, if David preaches God willing next week, he can say we are closer to the return of Christ than we were when Kevin preached last time. So I will not use that. The other thing is I want to remind us who our audience is because there's going to come a point where Peter uh, makes some assumptions uh, that people are believing what he says. And I want us to remember that when we started this study of Peter, we pointed out that the audience was the elect. So the people that Peter is talking to are people who profess Christ. And so I want us to understand that. Because much like us, you know, we sing songs like Joy to the World, the Savior Reigns, or God Fails Us Not, or, you know, we, Our God is an Awesome God. We sing these songs where we make proclamations about how great God is. We, we say we believe in the text. We believe that God created the earth and we believe that, that, you know, God flooded the earth and through Noah, he preserved it. And we say things like Jesus came and, and he did miracles, uh, of, of healing the blind and, and healing the lame and, and, the disciples who came after them through the power of the Holy Spirit literally turned the world upside down. But as God has convicted me lately, there are things I say I believe that my actions do not reflect. 
If you ask me, do I trust God, I would tell you that. But if I'm honest, my actions don't always show that I trust God. And and we're going to see Peter here in a minute start talking to his audience, and he's going to point out things that they say they believe and connect that to what the scoffers are questioning. So, so we approach today's text with this question. Is Jesus for real coming back? The scoffer asks, what has become of the coming of Jesus? But I feel like Peter is asking us a question back in this text. And he's asking this question, do we believe what happens in here happens out here? Do we believe what happens in the word happens in the world? And we are going to continue to return to this question throughout the text. Do you and do I believe that what happens in the word happens in the world? Let's revisit our text. This is now the second letter that I am writing you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this is, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water and by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This first verse should sound familiar to us. This is now the second letter that I am writing you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring you up in your sincere mind by way of reminder. The last time I had the privilege of uh, bringing the word, Peter was stirring us up in reminder as well. Back in chapter 1, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, and our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Remembrance is a powerful tool. Remembrance is a sincere form of worship and sanctification. Think about it. When we do communion, for example, we do that in remembrance of Him. But we see this throughout Scripture. Psalm 77 I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. 1 Corinthians 11, 24, Paul reminds us, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In Ecclesiastes, we're reminded to remember also our Creator in the days of our youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near to which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. 
Revelation 2.5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Psalm 143, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Psalm 119.55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. There is power in reminder, and we're going to talk about the power of reminder. We can remember the confidence of the past testimony. As we've been working our way through Peter, Peter has been reminding us of the testimony of the prophets and the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. Again, back in chapter 1, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when we received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, and we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. We have the testimony of the prophets. We have the testimony of the apostles to, to how Jesus fulfilled the word. He, he says, that we we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We saw it with our own eyes. And we have to ask ourselves, do we trust that testimony? Because that's one of the things that we're asked to remember. But not only do we need to remember, as Peter told us that we need to remember the past testimony, he reminds us that we need to remember the fruit of the present path. Again, in chapter 1, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter, one of the things he wants to stir up in our reminder is that we know what gospel living should look like. We know what the fruits of gospel living should be. But specifically in our text today, we're going to remember the hope of the future promise because scoffers are going to come and tell us, you don't really believe that, do you? This is now the second letter I'm writing you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. In this text, Peter specific, the previous text, Peter was stirring up the reminder of how gospel living looks. In this text, he is giving us the reminder of why we should hold on to hope when the scoffers come. And he reminds us to trust the holy prophets' predictions, Jesus' command, and the apostles' public teaching. Listen to that verse again, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, the commandments of our Lord and Savior through the apostles. 
We need to remember the Old Testament prophets. We need to remember Jesus' public ministry, and we need to remember the words of the apostles as they carried on the way throughout the world. 2 Peter 1.19, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Peter witnessed the prophetic word of the Old Testament prophets come true in Jesus Christ. He was able to see Jesus fulfill the the promise of the first coming. And he wants to remind us that just like he kept his promise of his first coming, he will keep his promise of the second coming. And why does he want us to remember this? Why does he want this to be the lamp by which we see? It's because in the last days there will become those who want us to question the Word. They want us to ask the question, does what happens in the Word really happen in the world? This is now the second letter that I'm writing you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Peter makes a profound statement. Scoffers are going to scoff. When I read this the first time, I kind of giggled a little bit. I'm like, of course that's what scoffers are going to do. Scoffers are going to scoff. But why does Peter make this profound statement? Because let's be honest, sometimes we act like we're totally surprised when mockers mock and scoffers scoff and haters hate and when sinners sin. It it, it blows our minds sometimes. And it shouldn't because that's what they do. And scoffing is nothing new. It starts all the way back in Genesis when Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say? And isn't that the word of all scoffers. I mean, did God really say that? Do you really believe that? Do do you really believe what happens in here is supposed to happen out here? Jude echoes the warning in verse 17. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles and our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. There's a podcast I listen to. It's an apologetics podcast, and they occasionally uh, take questions. And somebody submitted the question, why didn't God just fill the Bible full of scientific facts so that one day when science figured these things out, they'd go, oh, ah, the Bible's right. And, And they had... Uh, some great answers. They talked about the fact that the Bible is not a science textbook. It is a testament to the character of God and the power and accomplishment of the Gospels. But I think they missed one important thing when they answered the question. And that is scoffers seldom care about the truth. Amen. And Jesus even prepared us for this in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. In Luke 16, verse 19, 
There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at this and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, and in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said to them, said to him, They have Moses, and they have the prophets, let them hear them. Abraham's response was, They have the truth. They have access to the truth. But the rich man said, No, Father. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus in this parable tells us scoffers are going to scoff. They don't care about the truth. Even a supernatural visitation, if they don't want to see the truth, they will not see the truth. So why do scoffers scoff if it's not because of the truth? Back to our passage. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of your Lord and Savior through the apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires... They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, the first reason, scoffers scoff, is they lack hope. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So they've heard, you know, Jesus say, be prepared you know, the end time is coming. They've heard the apostles say, be prepared, the end time is coming. And they're saying, since the time of the fathers, the sun rises, the sun sets. People get married, people die. The the water cycle does what it does. The rock cycle does what it does. It's the circle of life. And they're saying because the same thing happens day after day, we just don't see it happening. 
And I can tell you from personal experience, scoffers scoffing because they have no hope. When we first began our journey with Jeremiah a decade ago, we went to a church that was supposed to have this really great ministry for families of addicted people. And we made it about 15 minutes into this program and the leader of the program looks at Heather and I and says, just want to let you know, your son will never overcome addiction. We're just here to help you live with that. We're here to encourage you so you don't give up. And I'm like, well, well, you've already told me to give up. Scoffers are going to scoff. These are people who lacked hope. I can't tell you the number of people who have told me. I've got two friends, police officers. Both of them tell me, there is no hope for your son. I've had strangers tell me there's no hope for the son. Scoffers are going to scoff. They, they, they don't want you to have hope. But it's just not a lack of hope. It's also because, as the text says, they follow their own sinful desires. So the second reason scoffers scoff is because it interferes with their desires. Too many people look not to the word, but to their desires. They look to their politics. They look to their worldview. Too many people see the word of God through what they want rather than what they want through the word of God. They say things like, I know God said, but I feel. I know God said, but I think. God really wouldn't do something like that. But it's not just desires. It says they're sinful desires. So the third reason scoff for scoff is because of their sin. Let's be honest. People like to sin. If I can minimize who God is, I can do what I want. If I can convince myself that I'm just an animal and I'm not created with a purpose, I can do what I want. If I can minimize the gospel, I can live how I want. I can treat people how I want. You see, scoffers want an eschatology that matches their immorality. At the end of the day, scoffers are going to scoff regardless of the truth. Now we're about to move in a section of, of Peter where he responds to the question, does what happens in the Word happen in the world? in specific reference to the return of Christ. We see the scoffers ask the question, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're basically saying it hasn't happened yet, so it's not going to happen. But remember, Jesus taught many parables, teaching us to live as though... His return was imminent. Luke 12, 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. 
If he comes in the second watch or the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. I mean, picture, you know, if your boss says, you know, he's going out of town for two weeks and you are one inclined to goof off, you will goof off with much leisure. But if your boss says, I'm stepping out for a minute and I'll be back in a minute and you don't know when he's coming back, you're going to be a lot less likely to take the leisure of goofing off. This continues in verse 41. Peter asked the question, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over the household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on that day when he does not expect him to at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Continuing this theme into chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And here you have the scoffer saying it hasn't happened yet, so it's not going to happen. And Jesus is very clear. You don't know when it's going to happen. And he mentions time and time again, the master being delayed, the bridegroom being delayed. Jesus taught us to be eminently prepared for his return. The apostles taught us to live like his return is imminent. And here's a life truth that's not in your notes, but I feel like the Lord wants to hear it wants us to hear it anyway. Living life like the return of Christ is imminent will radically change our perspective. It will change how we act, it will change how we treat people. It will change how we prioritize our time and our efforts. We have been encouraged to live like his return is imminent. How how different, think about this for a minute, how different, because we probably all have in our mind, Jesus is coming someday. But what if we knew he was coming tomorrow? How different would the rest of our day look? 
if we're like, you know, if we quit acting like we were guaranteed tomorrow. I shared last time, I think we were together, that I found this definition of procrastination that really impacted me. But procrastination is really the arrogance of feeling like God owes us another day. And we're not called to live like God owes us another day. We're called to live like Christ is coming tomorrow. Back, back to our passage. This is now the second letter that I am writing you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So answering this question... Will Jesus return? Paul reminds his audience of the testimony that God is all-powerful. His audience would believe that God created the earth. And he reminds them that God created the earth. And look how conveniently the scoffers start with since the forefathers. They, They deliberately overlook the fact that God created. And not only does God create, but if we look at Jeremiah 31, 35, it says this, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. If this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation and from me being before me forever. See, these scoffers use as their excuse the reason Jesus isn't coming is because of the natural order of things. The sun rises, the sun sets. The sun rises, the sun sets. But Jeremiah reminds us that that is a testimony to God. Because God is the one who made the covenant with the day and God is the one who made the covenant with the night. God is the one who stirs up the seas. See, the whole fixed order of things exists because of the power of God. It's a testimony to Him. Jeremiah thirty-three nineteen. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and night will not come at their appointed times, then also my covenant with David, my servant will be broken, so that he shall not have a son reign on his throne, and my covenant with the Levitical priests and ministers. Peter is reminding his audience that when the scoffers come to ask themselves, do we believe what happens in here happens out there? Do we believe that God created the earth? Do we believe that God maintains the earth? It's by the word of God that the earth was created. It's by the word of God that the natural of order things happen. The created order is a testament to God. It's a testament to His presence. And it's been said 
that if we can get past the line in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the rest of the Bible should be simple to us. Because if we believe that, nothing is impossible for God. This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So then we have a testimony that God has changed the order of things in the world before. See, the scoffers, again, they deliberately overlook. And they say the same thing happens over and over and over again. And Peter reminds his listeners, his readers, that things don't always stay the same. God changed the natural order of the things and He judged the world with a flood and preserved it through Noah. You see, creation continues on since the beginning until it doesn't. Until the blind see. Until the barren woman gives birth. Until Lazarus is called forth from the grave. Until the sun stands still. Until a virgin gives birth until God brings righteous judgment and a flood that defies the natural order of things. You see, the same word that created the world is the same word that judged the world by flood. Do we believe what happens in the word happens in the world? And this is the the question we're working our way to, is if we believe God created the world and we believe that God maintains the world, and we believe that God flooded the world, why do we question that God will keep His word and return? And so let us finish with this, that the promise of His coming will be different. This is now the second letter that I'm writing you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same word, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment 
and destruction of the godly. You see, the same word that creates is the same word that destroys, is the same word that maintains, and it's the same word that told us that Jesus was returning and He was bringing a purifying fire that was going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous and the godly from the ungodly. And it is this word that is storing up or holding back the wrath of God. It's by this word that as Paul tells us in Romans, sin is much, but God's mercy is more. There is a coming final judgment, a refining by fire. And let me ask you this, what's easier, to create the universe, to maintain the universe, or to destroy the universe? Well, think about that. If I want to build a car, I probably need an engineer. And if I want to maintain a car, I need a mechanic. But if I want to destroy a car, I could put my 10-year-old at the driver's wheel and he can take care of that. And so what Peter's saying is, audience, you believe that God created the world. And audience, you believe that God judged the world. And audience, you believe that God maintained the world. But you're going to let the scoffers make you question, is God coming back with his with the stored up wrath to let it go to one and final time judge the earth. If we believe that God created the earth and we believe that God destroyed the earth with a flood and we believe that God is storing up and holding wrath, we have no question, no reason to question the word of God that he's coming back. Sam, if you and the worship team could come up and the prayer partners would come up, I really believe we came to this text with the question, what has come of the return of Christ? But I firmly believe that Peter is asking us, do we believe what's in the Word happens in the world we live in? And so as we enter this time of worship and prayer, the the prayer partners are, are always available for whatever you need. I don't want anybody to feel what I say next is a hindrance to a reason to come. But I, I do want to I do want to ask this is, you know, do you question you you know the word says our sins they are many, but his mercy is more. But you believe that in the book. Do you believe that in your life? We know that the Word tells us that God is with us and He will never forsake us. We believe that in the Word. Do we believe that in our lives? We know that God has called us to live and exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Are we fine with that being in the book? Or do we want to see that in our lives? And so, so the question I have is, if you look at your life or if I look at my life and there's anything where I say, you know what? I believe the Word says that, but my life doesn't reflect that. I want to invite you to, to come with the prayer partners and pray that you and I will have the hope of what's in the Word 
exhibited in our lives.